us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. It's them skies. Oh, Jesus. He's haze. Welcome back (laughs) to that last comic shop's in place. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes, you know, we're trying to read some of them's them's blue beetles this week. And I don't understand. You're going to talk about beetles. Why don't we talk about the beetle baileys? I love the beetle baileys. (laughs) You know, you know who you sounded like just that. You sounded like uh, 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 the the. It's a, like a small side character in Back to the Future Two, who's <laughs> who's played by uh, the guy who does Roger Rabbit's voice, whatever his name is. Who's like, I'm gonna put money down on the Cubbies. That guy. <laughs> like that's who you sounded like just there. But this anyway. this Chad, this is what I had to put up with when you were gone. Oh, oh, this is the worst. They did this at the show. Welcome That's to the whole car ride back. I almost left him in Hershey. In any case, this is the last comic shop. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson. I'm joined by my wonderful friends, uh, J.A. Scott, Chad Smith, and the beautiful oh. Mikey Wood. Oh, oh, he's just gorgeous to look at. Oh. He's got this hair, man. Hey, what, what that, are, you are you a Dapper Dan man? I am a, no, I am a... I'm a Murray's man because my hair is too thick for like Royal Crown and Dapper Dan. It doesn't do anything but make it look greasy. So, but <laughs> oh, is Dapper Dan a real thing? I thought that I think was it was. I don't, yeah, I don't think it is anymore. I think it was at one point. Well, so. one thing that was certainly real was the fact that the Blue Beetle movie dropped last Ooh. weekend, and so Ooh. we all went to see it, except for JA because he's boycotting all movies the rest of the summer that are. <laughs> comic book related but we are making him read the blue beetle comic book because again this is a comic book podcast on a movie podcast yes. and oftentimes on these particular shows we like to do those movie reviews but we make you wait so if you're here for the blue beetle a movie review you just got to stick around for a little yeah. while we'll get to it but first we're going to go over a blue beetle comic book that you can pick up at your local comic book shop today if you are so inclined because you might be walking out of that theater saying I love that Jaime Reyes character, and I want to read more comics with him. I don't like Ted Kord. That's my Blue Beetle, but he's dead, I think. I don't know. Was he dead? Yeah, this is after Dan Didio shot him in the face. I mean, Max Lord shot him in the face. (laughs) Shot him in the face. (laughs) Right. And Wonder Woman snap at the neck. Crack! That's right. So, in any case, uh, we are reading, uh, it's a 12-part series that came out, I think, originally way back in the mid-2000s, right, Chad? Yeah, this is uh, circa 2006, spilling out of Infinite Crisis and the one year later time jump that happened in the DC books for for no reason whatsoever. (laughs) So who was involved with this particular Blue Beetle series? Okay, well, you have Keith Giffen and John Rogers as writers. Uh, Occasionally, John Rogers will take the reins all by himself, but most of the time they are working together there. And on art duties across the 12 issues, you have quite a, a list. You've got Cully Hamner, Duncan Rouleau, Raphael Albuquerque, Cynthia Martin, Kevin West, Phil Moy, Jack Purcell, and Casey Jones as artists. With mm-hmm. David Self and Guy Major on colors, letters, you had Phil Balsman, Pat Verso, and Jared K. Fletcher. Okay. Before we get into the actual 10 cent synopsis, I wanted to kind of pick the brain of our DC guru and uh, fanboy extraordinary Michael Wood. This is the first time this Blue Beetle got a series, but this isn't the first time this Blue Beetle 
appeared in DC continuity, correct? Infinite Crisis number three was his first appearance. Okay. But believe it or not, this is actually Blue Beetle Volume 7. Wow. Um, Blue Beetle's been around since 1939. Uh, Dan Garrett and, 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 you know, this is the second volume of DC Comics Blue Beetle. First one being Ted Kord, who everybody loves. And everybody was pissed off because of what happened with Ted Kord. Jaime's abilities have a direct connection with the Dan Garrett Blue Beetle who they kind of mixed into the into the mix during the Ted Cord thing. It's a, it's a big, long thing. But my recommendation in this episode will help you guys, the whole Blue Beetle thing. So and that was going to be my question. Has it always mm-hmm. been that there's the thing with the scarab and the Blue Beetle costume comes out of the scarab and, and no. then it's like Iron Man and the wings and stuff? Or is that... No, this one, this is the first time it's been sort of like a techno suit kind of vibe. Um, Dan Garrett did get his powers from a scarab. But there's, you know, retconny stuff and rehistories and things like that because, you know, things that happened in 1939 don't really work nowadays. Yeah. And, or they could, you know. Bitten but, by a radioactive scarab. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But no, to Andy's uh, original question, this actually is the first appearance, though, of Jaime Reyes because he just shows up as Blue Beetle in Infinite Crisis. Oh, yeah. Oh, ah. But his alter ego yeah. in issue number one, that's where he shows up for the first time. That's, that's right. Okay. Exactly. Well, I, I we'll get into this in my initial thoughts. And I think J.A.'s initial thoughts, too, because I thought this series was very, very confusing. But... Let's get that 10 cent synopsis to see if we can kind of at least lay the groundwork for what happens in these first 12 issues. Mikey? Yes. Uh, Jaime Reyes becomes the Blue Beetle. The end. No, so, so <laughs> yeah. No, um, Jaime receives um, a wonderful bioorganic techno suit that communicates with him and can sort of generate different forms of weaponry. And he runs afoul of many different folks. And, 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 and the first 12 issues, a lot happens but really the actual 10 cent synopsis is barrio kid gets powers so with great power comes great responsibility he's dc spider-man he really is oh Uh, yeah no there's some definite parallels between this particular 12 issue arc and like i don't know the original issues from amazing spider-man except yeah those issues were not so confusing he didn't have as many flashbacks and things like there's a lot of time jumping in these first few issues um and they may or may not do it successfully and i will say too i feel like no way home borrowed a lot of upstart new hero in a fancy suit that talks back to him yeah uh it definitely pulled some elements that are similar to notes they play here in the blue beetle series well, I wanted to throw it over to J.A. because I think we're on the same page in terms of the narrative flow of this particular book. For me, this reminded me of a lot of the shortcomings that a lot of fans were grousing about when it came to uh, the uh, Book of Boba Fett. Maybe if they would have told the story more chronologically, it would have been easier to read. What do you think about that with like the, the flashback parts being unnecessary, I guess? Yeah, I, th- I mean, coming in without any background on this and not having read First Crisis or Eighth Crisis or whatever crisis the crisis was. Infinite. Infinite. infinite, infinite yeah, you know, it goes on forever. Whatever. Having not Wouldn't read that. Wouldn't it have been Infinite Crises? It should. It, yes. Should have been. It's really good, though. It really is. Or Crisis <laughs> to the Infinite. But anyway. <laughs> I thought this whole book was unnecessarily convoluted. 200 pages in, I still don't know what the heck is going on. The, why does the Green Lantern Corps not like Blue Beetle, and why are they fighting to the death with each other when they're supposed to be heroes and 
why did they all leave him behind because he was phasing in some alternate reality and why does that matter and why do we care and why was he gone for a year and and Mm -hmm. then it got into to draw your star wars parallel a little bit of where everyone is related to luke skywalker and everything is is interconnected because then the aunt of his girlfriend is like the head of this crime boss family that's capturing all these kids with powers and putting them in like a club bed for kids with powers but they're happy to be there but some of them aren't and uh, don't forget the gangs oh right and there's gangs the the posse and oh yeah and 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 there's some people who who wear the gang colors but aren't in the gang they still wear the gang colors makes them Mm. in the gang doesn't it (laughs) i don't know all I struggled. Right. I, I'm not going to lie. I struggled with this book. Okay. Uh, who wants to come to the book's defense? We'll start with Chad. Chad, are you defending this at all? I will say I enjoyed parts of this. And especially for me, the parts that really spoke to me more so were whenever the Blue Beetle was interacting with the rest of the DC universe. So there's that issue there where he's working alongside the Justice League. He's like, I can't wait to tell everybody I worked with Batman. And he's like, tell him it was Superman. It's like, why? Like, trust me, everybody likes Superman. It's like, don't people like you? No. <laughs> and, you know, but those interactions were lots of fun. And whenever Blue Beetle was able to bounce off people at his power level, um, and even towards the end, by the time they brought in Peacemaker, another Charlton character, I thought that was really cool. It was a different Peacemaker than what I've been used to. Yeah, I, I think there was potential here uh, with the story. I, I don't think it landed all the time for me, so I'm not going to stick up for it too much. There are some hiccups with the, the supporting cast and a little bit of confusion amongst the story. But at the end of the day, it is a, a fun young hero. He's got a super cool look. Definitely some issues were better than others. But like those pages when he's in Blue Beetle armor just look so badass, no matter who's drawing it. I feel like this is a character, if you let him play inside the universe, he could be tons of fun and something that is an additive to the DCU. As much as I was a fan of Ted Kord. You know, I wasn't upset when they brought in Jaime Reyes to include some some different perspectives in the DCU. Um, I just wish it didn't come at the expense of uh, of my guy Ted Cord. But I just right. couldn't get over the fact that when he was in Blue Beetle armor, you could still see his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like his teeth aren't armored, though. What happens if he gets punched in the face? Yeah, it's <laughs> the only part of your skeleton you can see. Yeah, that's true. They might be the armor's teeth and not his teeth, though. Oh, that so, would be true. Weird. Yes. All right, Mikey, you're the yeah. DC guy. Stick up for this. I definitely see where the time jumps and everything can really make it confusing. And maybe a, a linear storytelling thing would have been better. I like the kid, though. I mean, there's only really I mean, honestly, there's only there's two teenage hero archetypes. There's the one that embraces it and the one that doesn't want it. That's it. And and he's one of the ones that doesn't want it at first. But then he starts to kind of really vibe with the things that he can do. Um, the reason it jumps a year is because they all of the heroes were sort of yoinked from the planet and then they, they, they came back. He's been gone. As far as his family knows, he's he's been gone for a year. He went missing. And the way it affects his family, the family characters are done really, really well. His relationship with his father is done really well. The dialogue. I mean, Keith Giffen's phenomenal with dialogue. And he even manages to kind of write teenage characters 
in a manner that doesn't feel like hello fellow teenagers you know you know like, <laughs> they're, they're, they sound like kids you know they, they say, occasionally it's like okay this is a white guy writing latino kids but that kind of stuff worked for me i think it suffered from the like constant changes in in artists mm. even though the artists were all really good Cully Hamner's amazing. That Duncan Rouleau issue was beautiful, you know, but the tones are different. Like the, the tone of the artwork is different and it. It kind of throws that off. There's a, a, a kind of a coherency and a unity that's sort of missing from that first arc, I think, because of the because of the artistic stuff. Yeah, no, I, I think that hits the nail on the head as to why when we get to ratings, I'm not going to rate this as highly as I might have. Because genuinely, to Chad's point, I, I do like stories about coming-of-age superheroes. I like Ms. Marvel. I've always liked Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've liked Robin, the Robin-type characters. There are some good stories that you can tell with them. I think that this book suffered about a lack of consistency. From the time jumps and the art jumps, those two things were almost like two strikes against this book. For me, had there only been one of them, whether it was like maybe the same art style through the entire 12 issues, or they would have told more of a linear story with different artists, one or the other had to happen. But you put both of those on top of this sandwich, it just tastes terrible. Mm. It's not palatable at all for me. And I kept on getting lost. I, I I really wanted to know more about this character. I wanted to like him. I'm not one of these people that was saying, like, I hate Jaime Reyes because they killed Ted Kord. Like, I wholeheartedly believe that DC is wonderful because they have legacy characters and they're able to bring in the next generation of characters and give them a good story and get them on their way. I mean, heck, isn't Blue Beetle the original archetype for uh, what, Night Owl in Watchmen? Wasn't it supposed to be Blue Beetle, like the generational character? And so like, I, I have no problem with somebody else taking up the mantle of Blue Beetle. And there were some neat ideas, like they give her them a, a him a kingpin character. They give him a good supporting cast with like a a girlfriend and a and a good buddy that you know like his his Flash Thompson, his Mary Jane Watson. Yeah. And so they give them characters like that, but at the same time, like boy, I really had a hard time from issue to issue, like keeping track of who the characters were, where I was supposed to be. Why, to Jay's point, why the Green Lantern Corps hated him? Like, to start off with, like, Guy Gardner trying to beat the crap out of him, I'm like, where is it, this coming from? It's not him, it's the Scarab. There was a there was a group of, of aliens called the Reach, and they were world conquerors, and they battled the Green Lantern Corps. Central to that was a hive mind made up of these Scarabs. So that's why, that's why. Ah. Anyway, and the Green Lanterns, you know, they are drawn to what they need to battle so guy gardner was just battling him because the lantern told him to battle him and then when he realizes he's a kid who's in over his head he's like well i'm not gonna kill a kid guy gardner doesn't kill kids which is bullshit guy gardner totally kills anyway it's the scarab that's what the green lanterns have an issue with Poor K. Poor K. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if they get into it later on in the series, because this series ran 29 issues before the whole New 52 thing kind of went down. And that, then there was a New 52 issue that ran 16 issues. But yeah, it, it has something to do with the Scarab, because the Scarab is an alien, a piece of alien tech. Right. But that did confuse me a little bit with the Phantom Stranger showing up and like talking mm-hmm. about all the magic stuff. 
And then yeah. the next issue, they're like, oh, it's not magic, it's alien tech. It's alien yeah, and I, magic. I, I was thrown off. There's all this magic. Everyone's focused on magic, and then it's not magic. And then it's alien tech versus magic. And, and why the big thing on magic? Why is magic yeah. so big? Why is there that one bad guy that, like, is working for the ant? And then, like, halfway through the series, towards the end, he's just like, no, I'm not really a bad guy. I'm just this guy in the background. And I'm yeah. just like, huh? I thought this was, like, you were setting up this guy to be one of his rogues gallery. Now he's just like, I'm just this guy that takes orders from the ant i'm just like i don't i don't get this like inconsistency really this i wanted to like this book it just suffered from inconsistency Mm -hmm. so let's get into our ratings because we do have a movie review uh so ja uh what is our rating scale for this week one out of four magically alien tech (laughs) blue scarabs The scarab has a name too. The scarab is the scarab is called Kajida. It's a whole thing. Of course, of course there is. Of course there is. <laughs> it's a whole thing. It probably has its own Wikipedia page. Oh, it wow. probably does. Actually, we should find <laughs> out. Anyway. We're gonna go ahead and start off with Chad. How many magic techno scarabs you given this? Oh, buddy. This is tough. As much as I, I like the character, I agree there are parts of this that just weren't working for me. And I I was getting bored and I was like, all right, I, I can handle this. I'll just pretend like it's a movie that I fell asleep, skipped through a couple pages and then pick it up again. But I swear by the time it got to the end, I was actually really starting to enjoy it. When they introduced Danny Garrett and they go off and, uh, what was the guy from the new gods? Lonar. Yeah. Oh yeah. The He-Man guy on that yeah. alien planet. Yeah. Like that was tons of fun. And like I said, by the time I got to the end of it, I, I really was enjoying it, but yeah, it is plagued by inconsistency. It's weird. So many of my gripes that I have with DC books in general in this time period deal with editorial. Like if they just had a better editorial staff, one, they wouldn't have hated the JLI and gone after so many of the characters that I loved. Two, you wouldn't have things where like in one issue, the plucky redheaded girlfriend loses her shirt sleeve. And then in the next issue, everything's fine again. Yeah, like, that's not how shirt sleeves work. <laughs> but uh, and you could tell some of these issues were, you know, well put together and others. It seemed like, ah, we'll, we'll just get it out there. And like they were forgoing backgrounds. Like, ah, we'll just put digital background in, put some yeah. color in and mix it up. So, yeah, I, I quality being inconsistent was the worst part of this guy. So I'm going to say two point two five. What, what's our thing? Rusty scarabs. <laughs> Sure. Rusty, Rusty Scarab. I went to high All school right. with a kid named Rusty Scarab. <laughs> All right. Well, Mikey, you're going next. So what? What's yeah. your? Do I love? I do love Blue Beetle. I just, I just love him. You know, I and actually, I love Blue Beetle from when he was a character on the Electric Company on PBS when I was a kid, and it was, it was a di- an entirely different thing. But, <laughs> but, but I remember seeing Blue Beetle comics, and I was like, I love the Blue Beetle from when I was, a-, and and realized, but, um. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, I'm kind of like midway on it. It's got me interested to kind of read more, but not as a priority. Um, so so um, it did make me want to go back and read the Ted Cord series, which was also fun. So I'm going to I'm going to give it like a like a two and a half. That's low for DC. Usually I'm like a DC, you know, apologist or whatever. I don't have anything to apologize for. Um, two and a half scarabs out of four, I'd say. J.A.? Yeah, I'm giving it a two. Um, it was just too inconsistent. I thought the storytelling, as as I mentioned, was unnecessarily convoluted. Had they streamlined it a bit, it probably would have been a better story. The changing art team from issue to issue didn't do it any favors. I thought there were some good ideas. They just execution wasn't 
wasn't quite there. It did make me want to read some more Blue Beetle, so I guess that's a positive. But it made me want to read, like, the original. I, I want to know what the old Blue Beetle was like. What what did he do? What was his power set? And that's actually going to be, when we get to recommendations, I'll bring that up again. So... Mm-hmm. It's a two. I don't know. Maybe the movie will be better. <laughs> You're not even going to watch it. You are already boycotting it. This movie yeah. is going to be better. <laughs> Maybe we can talk him into watching it in the commercial break. Any case, on this show, oftentimes when it comes to movies, I'm always talking about like if I was a guy that had saw the movie in the theater and then went to my comic book shop and immediately wanted to pick up a comic, figure out like, ooh, I want to read more Blue Beetle. Would this be a good comic book for me to pick up? And unfortunately, I'm going to give this a 1.75 because it's not. This is not a good comic book for somebody to pick up that wants to know more about Jaime Reyes. Like, it's not. Like, it's really hard to follow. You need to know kind of sort of some stuff that happens before, which isn't terrible for comic books. But, like, nothing's really explained well, ever. In these 12 issues, the the flashbacks don't make a lot of sense, even when they're supposed to be like moments that are supposed to be very dramatic, like they left me behind. Like, I found myself not really caring. Like, he's like, oh, my God, all his family comes up to him. Oh, it's all right, Jaime. No, like, I didn't care because I wasn't made to care. Like, I it was like something that happened off screen. And so, like, I just I you have I, no I, heart. You have no I, heart. Whatever. So. I feel like there are better Blue Beetle, especially with Jaime Reyes. I feel like there are better books out there. I just don't think you should get this one. I think you should find another one. I think he's actually pretty good. Uh, I watched a Justice League movie once. Uh, it was it was an adaptation of the Judas Contract. And it had Jaime Reyes in it as a member of the Teen Titans. And I thought that was great. In the Judas Contract? Yeah, in the Judas Contract. Animated adaptation. Jaime Reyes is a member. Did he replace I, some? Did he replace he did. somebody? He did. He, it, Cyborg. The new Cyborg wasn't in it. Okay. Uh, All right. That's why. Okay. So, but but it was great. So there, there you go. There's a there's a suggestion instead. Go go watch the Judas Contract yeah. animated movie adaptation. Don't read this. It's hmm. it's not very. Any case, <laughs> uh, we'll be right back with more of the last comic shop right after these commercial breaks with our recommendations as well as a movie review. So stay tuned for that. The Santo sisters are back with a brand new comic book. Can Alana lead the charge to find Todd's stolen car? How did Cinnamon Bun gain sentience in the Las Brisas mall food court? And why is Ambar using drugs? All this and more in issue 5 of the Santo sisters in stores August 16th. Find the Santo sisters comic book in your local comic shop or online at floatingworldcomics.com. Greetings from the depths. <laughs> uh, no way I can keep that up the whole commercial. Hey, last comic shop fans. My name is Winston Gambro, and I make comic books. My latest comic is called Haunted House, A Love Story. It's a story of love, grief, and horror. A sentient house falls in love with its sole residence. However, this joy is short-lived when the house is forced into a forbidden love triangle and seeks vengeance. If you want a copy of the six-issue miniseries, you can have your local comic shop order Haunted House, A Love Story from Blood Moon Comics. Also available at winstongambro.com. That's W-I-N-S-T-O-N-G-A-M-B-R-O. And I'll get you a copy. Thanks so much for listening. Back to the show. (laughs) 
we're back with more of the last comic shop, and it is now time for those recommendations. Yes. What up? <laughs> It's the time of every single show where we give you other comic books in addition to the Blue Beetle 12-issue volume one thing that you can pick up at your local comic book shop if you are so inclined. And we're going to go ahead and start off with Chad Smith. So, Chad, what's your recommendation this week? So, my recommendation is currently in your local comic shop. Uh, I've decided to forgo Blue Beetle-based recommendations and just go with Deadpool Batter Blood. This is Rob Liefeld uh, doing his best to channel Jack Kirby in his later later years at Marvel whenever he was just throwing out double-page spreads for no reason whatsoever, just because he wanted to and thought it would be awesome. Uh, you're getting Rob Liefeld at full Rob Liefeld. The basic plot is uh, Arcade has a sister, Arcada. Arcada. Uh, <laughs> oh my, did he write this too? Did he write Oh it? yeah. Oh Ar- yeah, 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 yeah. No, and it is awesome. And so uh, she is monkeying around with Deadpool and friends, including Thumper from The Last Batter Blood. If you are a Liefeld fan, this is peak Liefeld. Like I said, it does remind me of Jack Kirby and that he's just throwing stuff out there that he thinks is cool looking and just having fun with it. And you can tell as you're reading the series, you know, that joy comes through. And so check it out. Deadpool batter blood. The first two issues have already been out. So the third issue should be on stands. You could probably pick up one and two, maybe uh, second or third prints, maybe, but uh, Deadpool batter blood. It's worth jumping on the train. It's tons of fun. All right. Well, I'm going to go next with my recommendation. And uh, again, kudos to the uh, wonderful comic book company, humanoids. A couple of weeks back, we had Mark Russell on our particular show thanks to humanoids and we talked about his book the in call psychoverse since then i've also covered in our recommendation section another wonderful book that they sent us at the last comic shop called eight limbs but this week man did they knock it out of the park with all tomorrow's parties the velvet underground story it's written and drawn by corin shadby and uh it is As the title might suggest, the story of the legendary rock band, The Velvet Underground, featuring Lou Reed and Nico. And and basically, it is a wonderful story that kind of starts with the death of Andy Warhol, as you know, The Velvet Underground. In some ways, Andy Warhol's house band, but it kind of goes into a lot of detail as to the, the exact relationship that... Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground had with Andy Warhol and kind of like a symbiotic relationship, more or less, like more of a partnership than like, hey, you guys can play music for my weird wonky movies. Uh, Although they did do that. But the reuniting of the two main members of the uh, Velvet Underground, the aforementioned Lou Reed and John Cale. And so it basically tells the story of how they were friends Uh, They made a lot of music together. Like all rock bands, they had creative differences, broke up after their second album, went their separate ways, and eventually got back together, tried to put out a third album, which I kind of sort of remember in the 90s, because they were going to do like an unplugged thing, and then that didn't happen. Long story short, it's a wonderful book. And if you are a fan of rock music, if you are a fan of 60s and 70s pop culture history If you're a fan of just great comic books, you should be picking up this book from Humanoids, All Tomorrow's Parties. Can't recommend it enough. It'll make you want to learn more about the Velvet Underground 
and listen to more of their music. I I, I can say, for example, I, I didn't listen to the whole Banana album until after I read this. Just there you go. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I've told the story before where I made a friend for life one time because somebody had mentioned fine music and they chimed in, fine, fine music. I'm like, oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. J.R., you're up next. What's your recommendation? So I am leaning on the group to help me with my recommendation because I'm still Blue Beetle. Is it, is it <laughs> Iron Man meets Exo War meets Spider-Man? What does the suit manifest? How? Where are these weapons coming from? I'm all confused. Blue Beetle comes back to the 30s. He's a char- original Charlton character, correct? Not no not okay so oh my gosh uh so so you know what maybe I should jump in with you know what I'm gonna do that I'm gonna give you my recommendation <laughs> because in, that Mike. could lead you to your recommendation so my recommendation is a book called The Blue Beetle Companion which was uh, put out by Tomorrow's Publishing um, it is written by Christopher Irving and it gives a history of the Blue Beetle from 1939 all the way up to. I think it ends with Ted Cord, actually. I'm not, I'm not, uh, and hard copies are sold out, but you could find it on eBay. Um, you can download a digital copy from Tomorrow's for six bucks, which is in color, which is cool because the book was printed in black and white. Um, there is a paperback version that's uh, on Amazon right now if you wanted to. It's a used paperback version. But it is. It, it would answer all of those questions. It would give you full comprehensive sort of history of the Blue Beetle, who actually started out as – it was Fox Holyoke. It was the name of the company and that ran 60 issues. Then Charlton picked them up in 1955 to 1967-ish. And then it came to DC and things like that. So so yeah, so he's been around for a while. There's a long history. Yeah, yeah, I mean, did he start out like a like a Green Hornet mass crime fighter? Well, he wasn't he wasn't a Green Hornet character at first. He was kind of like the fan, he had like a phantom kind of vibe to him. I think the magic scarab came in in the 1950s, I think, when when he went over to Charlton. I think that's where the the magic scarab came in. Uh, they, they, no, this is interesting. Always... So your recommendation is my recommendation. So you're going to have to recommend something else because oh, that's exactly really? what I was looking for. Okay, so then you know what else? You can on Amazon you can find paperback reprints of the old Blue Beetle issues called the Char- Blue Beetle the Charlton Files and it's by a company called Guandanaland. I don't know why it's called Guandanaland, but what they do is they actually like photograph pages in color of the best copies that they can find. So they're not like remastered reprints or anything like that. And I don't even know necessarily the legalities of these reprints, but I really don't. I don't know if they're, but I have the Blackhawk ones um, and they also have the whole of Blue Beetle, the classic Blue Beetle stuff. And I have a Peacemaker one. That's all the Charlton Peacemakers in one book. And they had, they're about 35 bucks a volume or something like that. All right. Well, those were our recommendations for this week. And make sure that you're checking us out every single week for more of these recommendations, as well as comic book reviews, by rate, reviewing, and subscribing over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can find all of our episodes, Evergreen. Lots of great stuff, including lots of past comic book slash movie reviews. Like we did a whole Movie May this year, Movie May last year. Jay says sometimes there's too many of these comic book movies that come out in a given year. He'd rather have more Oppenheimer, but eh, it's what sells tickets, I guess. Any case, what else does our website sell, J.A.? We sell merchandise, t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, 
Do we have socks? We should have socks. <laughs> we don't. I feel like we should have socks. <laughs> socks are important. They are. That was like the number one thing that you needed if you were in the military was like dry socks. And you get the swamp foot. <laughs> Chad, jump in anytime you want. <clears throat> All right. So while we might be the last comic shop podcast, we don't want to be the last comic shop. So we encourage everybody to get out there to your local comic shop and try and find some of these cool books. Uh, whether or not you go with the Blue Beetle book one from 2006-ish. Uh, that's up to you, but you could also check out things like Humanoids, All Tomorrow's Parties, which I can't wait to read. Or you could check out Deadpool Batter Blood. Uh, I forgot to mention how Arcade has Murder World. Arcada has Killville. Oh, God. <laughs> it's great. You get Venom Pool, Shatterstorm, which is not Shatterstar. She's different on the same planet. Different uh anyway uh so yeah spatter blood in stores now you could also search out that book from tomorrow's the blue beetle companion or any of the other stuff mikey recommended <laughs> as a result what was it old charlton yeah there's old charlton collections that's actually vague, that vague, makes as vaguely, much sense yeah vague, <laughs> vaguely possibly a copyright infringement reprints those were in public domain it might it might be it but that might be what it is yeah. exactly I, I it's all other than the dc stuff all the other blue beetle stuff is all in public domain the golden age stuff the charlton yeah. stuff it's all in public domain so so it's now free you, baby free. just like the last comic shop podcast right exactly we'll be right back with more of that last comic shop podcast right after this word about bcw supplies jay are you gonna watch this dang movie or not Hi, it's Carlo Calentuan, last comic shop podcast listener and comic book tragic here in the Philippines. My boy, when I'm in the U.S., I'm always on the lookout for a good deal on boards, bags, boxes, and all other manner of comic book-related supplies. And that's why I love to go to bcwsupplies.com and use the promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off of all my orders. Not only do I get a discount on everything I buy at BCW, but I'm able to support the podcast when I use LCSPOD at checkout. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, head over to bcwsupplies.com and use the promo code LCSPOD. Oh, and guys, I'm still waiting for that trusted review. Come on, when is it? Well, salamat po, Carlo. Ah! We're back. And uh, yes, I saw Blue Beetle, so I am sticking around to talk about Blue Beetle. Look at how peer pressure works. See, uh, you have friends, and then all of a sudden you're shelling out money for a movie that you weren't going to go see. I have friends the- and, a, and a 12-year-old boy who said, Dad, <laughs> take me to see the movie. We just want the best for you, that's all. Oh, yes, exactly. And honestly, some initial thoughts right before we get into our official Blue Beetle review. It was pretty good. I enjoyed it quite a lot. But mm-hmm. we'll get to that in just a second again. Blue Beetle here on The Last Comic Shop. So if you've been sticking around for this movie review, ha-ha, you'll be well rewarded with this uh, next 25 minutes or so. any case, uh, we're mm-hmm. going to go ahead and get the... Uh, folks that were in this particular movie from J.A. Okay. Scott and Mikey Wood. So, guys, go ahead and ping-pong back and forth with this. <laughs> okay, uh, Blue Beetle stars Zolo Maradueña, uh, the lead Jaime Reyes. Uh, Zolo, you might know from uh, Cobra Kai. He has a pretty big role on Cobra Kai, which is a great show. Yeah, and stealing the movie was Adriana Barraza as Nana, 
the mm. Lolo of the family, the grandmother. Also stealing the movie, MVP, I say, was George Lopez as Uncle Rudy. And we also had Damien Alcazar as Alberto Reyes, Jaime's father, and El Padilla Carrillo as Jaime's mother. She was in the original Predator movie. So, no. yes, she's not in a lot yes. of movies, at least Hollywood movies. She's not in a lot of Hollywood movies. Oh, uh, Bruna. Marquezina as Jenny Cord, um, uh, Belisa Escobedo as Milagro Reyes, who's Jaime's sister. She's also wonderful in the role. And uh, Raul Max Trujillo uh, as Ignacio Carapax or Omac. Mm-hmm. And uh, Susan Sarandon, chewing scenery as <laughs> the big band. As, as Victoria Cord, among among many other, other folks. Fe- and featuring Becky G., as the voice of Kajida, Becky G, who I believe is a musician of some sort. I'm not really sure. It was directed by Angel Manuel Soto uh, on a script from Gareth Dunnett Alcacer. And we apologize for our... <laughs> the names? Just destroying these names. Uh, <laughs> right. But we don't apologize for destroying the 10 cent synopsis with spoilers. That's right. So if you haven't seen this movie, you want to just stop listening to the program right now. But Chad, why don't you give us that 10 cent synopsis? Okay, so the film opens up and gives us a little bit of the Reyes family and the hardships they're going through as Jaime's just about graduated from college, starting to look for work and establishes the whole family dynamic. And then eventually through uh, hijinks, he ends up losing his job, but meeting Jenny Cord, who is the daughter of multi-bajillionaire Ted Cord, who used to be the Blue Beetle. Dun, dun, dun. And then fast forward a little bit. Victoria Cord, his sister, is trying to turn Cord Industries into a weapons manufacturer. Jenny's against that. So she steals the Blue Scarab and uh, on her way out the door, runs into Jaime again and hands it to him and says, here, keep this safe in this burger box. And he says, okay. And then he goes home and uh, disobeys her orders not to look at it or touch it. And he touches it. And then all of a sudden, he's the Blue Beetle. And then it becomes him fighting against Omac and Victoria Cord and helping Jenny unlock the secrets that Ted Cord had left behind. And Nana gets the giant Gatling gun like Roadblock from G.I. Joe. <laughs> and there you go. That's about it. Yeah. And as I said, with my initial thoughts, I really loved this movie, honestly. I, I took my kids to see it, and I thought it was a lot of fun. And uh, one thing I'm going to say, in kind of respect to the uh, comic book that we reviewed earlier in the show, I'm going to say that this was a much better quote-unquote origin story than the one that we got in the 12-issue uh, comic book series, just simply because it was a lot easier to follow. Uh, I loved how they had Ted Cord as like kind of like this character in the background that wasn't dead per se, but just was missing. I loved the, uh, you know, bringing in Jenny Cord as his daughter and kind of like that connection. Like every thing just made sense. If you watch comic book superhero movies, this was your standard superhero getting his powers movie, but like kind of what i wanted so let me just get it out of the way first and foremost this was an mcu style movie back when the mcu movies were fun take a little bit of spider-man homecoming where peter parker's learning how to deal with the suit whereas jaime's learning how to deal with the symbiotic 
blue beetle scarab costume and powers and the the voice in his head talking back to him and following his orders it's a little bit of paul rudd's ant-man movies where you know you have some heist elements and they're breaking in and they're you know fish out of water stuff uh as well as a complicated legacy the the love interest character in jenny cord sprinkle in a, a hearty helping of mexican-american family flair where you know it seemed like it was very culturally respectful and and appropriate and it was taken right out of the best of the MCU movies in my opinion and i forgot to mention too you have a bad guy that's the classic marvel equal but opposite so instead of jebediah stain or yellow jacket that becomes modok mm-hmm. now you have omac which basically is another guy in a suit who has similar powers to blue beetle but is a little bit better and a little bit more equipped to, as a, a military weapon. Did anybody else think that the bad guy, Omac, looked like that evil robot from uh, the Black Hole? Like, was that Maximilian? Like Max- like, the, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I kept on looking bit. at him. I'm like, he's red, and he's got mm-hmm. kind of like that weird uh, rectangle head. It was rumbi shape. <laughs> you know, well, what's funny is that he looks exactly like he did in the comics, but in the comics, he was Carapax the Indestructible Man, and he was in Blue Beetle Volume 6, number one. He was just a guy in a mech suit. You know, of course, in the movie, it's more techie and stuff like that. And that, that's one thing I was going to say is that it, as somebody who's a Blue Beetle fan and a DC fan, I was really pleased how neck deep in DC it is. Like Dan Garrett and Ted Cord and the the ship and you know they mention how ted cord didn't have the powers whereas dan garrett did i mean it, it that that was wonderful too Your but point, I, though mikey i think they did it right in the fact that it didn't have to fit in any particular dc movie continuity like they really stuck almost like within their lane they mentioned superman batman but kind of like more in a generic sense so like you don't have to have seen other DC movies. You don't have to care about what DC universe or cinematic thing this belongs in. It's just, it's a great DC movie that plays homage to a lot of DC things without actually saying where those things come from, honestly. I, well, I, I think that's nice. It's just like if it were the real world, how Superman and Batman are Gotham and Metropolis. This is out in Palmyra City. This is, you know, yeah. in the boonies. Batman doesn't go there. People are so hung up about what universe does this fit in? What universe is this like the, the, that? It's it's become for me. And just watch the goddamn movie and who <laughs> cares? Like like, and this is good because it bridges a gap. It can be anything you want it to be. All right, so J.A., you were the one that didn't want to go see this movie. You were boycotting all superhero movies. Did this turn you around for the rest of the year? Well, remember back before they had superhero movies in the movie theaters, like in the nineties. What did Hollywood put out ad nauseum? Rom-coms. Every week there was a new rom-com. And most of them had a very similar formula. And some were better, some were worse. Usually the better ones were not so much better for the lead actors and actresses, though sometimes that was good if you got a lead actor and actress that had really good chemistry. This movie did not have very good chemistry between (laughs) the actor and actress. In fact, that, that romance was probably the worst part of the movie. But what this movie had in spades with is a great ensemble secondary cast, the family. Without that family, this movie would just be a horrible paint-by-numbers, standard, cliche-ridden drivel with bad CGI, and every time you think you know what's going to happen, it's going to happen. You can see it coming (laughs) a mile away. Oh, dad's going to die. Oh, 
The guy is going to say that his family is his weakness. No, no, his family is his strength. It was very, very standard paint-by-numbers fare. Uh, the Latin Mexican-American flavor they brought to it, I thought, raised it slightly above its sort of run-of-the-mill plot, which was just, I mean, razor-thin, paper-thin plot. Well, I mean, I, I like I, I thought the CGI was just fine. Um, but the, the uh, <laughs> there's only so many superhero origin stories. Like you can look at a bunch of the Marvel movies in in the same manner. They're all pretty much the same kind of like it's all the same stuff. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you're right there. You need something else in it to make it stand out more. And and that really was his family. And I mean, especially like the Nana thing with her being like a revolutionary and everything like that. Just absolutely hilarious and wonderful. And you leave smiling. And yeah, I mean, Susan Sarandon in this is is and that, that was my one complaint about it is that is that she's just sort of like so one note. They get into kind of interesting things when they talk about why she is sort of the way she is and that it had to do with basically jealousy and a little bit and, and a little bit of, 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 of patriarchy going on there. And yeah, it, like you know, rampant sex. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. She, like she, she, got, was, she helped build a company and then was passed over for the dude. Right, right. Yeah. It, and you can see, you know, but I wanted them to go into and, and they finally with Carapax, they finally did something toward the very end with him that was like. Because he's super one note, um, but I, I wanted I wanted a little more for those two. I just want villains to have a little bit more to them instead of just being individuals that push the the plots forward. One of the big problems I had with it was I could see the strings. I, I'll be the one person in the country that wasn't a big fan of the Nana character for whatever reason. It just she she rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Like it was too over the top. You know, in a movie where there's tons of over-the-top things going on. George Lopez is like, yeah, I can do all this tech stuff and, and beat the giant mega corporation in 20 minutes. You know, give me some time in a truck. There were a lot of things where you could see the bones to this and you could see the cliches. But what it did have was heart. I mean, the family dynamic was there. It was a positive lesson. It was so much of the opposite of what's come from so many of these superhero movies lately. The Marvel stuff included. And it was a fun movie. So even though you could see the bones a little bit, I think a lot of that was forgivable because that heart was there, because the family dynamics were there, because the relationships were there. I didn't have any gripes with the CGI. It is well, when I say it was bad CGI, I don't mean it was like incompetently done CGI. It was just standard over the top CGI. There was nothing special about it, I guess. So that's yeah. special. My gripe they made the entire bubble movie. gum on a weapon. It's that was awesome. Not- All right, listen, one of the things I'm going to say when it comes to being cliche, one things that I'm going to say about like we've seen this story before is I'm also going to bring up the fact that like this used the Mex-American experience not as window dressing. And that was really great, right? You know, this could have been one of those movies where all of that stuff is just like, hey, we're putting this stuff on top of it and there you go. Uh, But it wasn't. It really made it like crucial to the plot. It made it an experience that I can say for folks in the Mex America culture, like you don't have a superhero movie like this. You should have one that you should watch and be able to say as a family, like, hey, this was our superhero. This was our melodrama, a coming of age superhero that, you know, fights with his family against evil corporations. Sure, everything's been done before, but this was ours. And I think that's very important. And not only that, but like, 
I'm going to say it point blank. These are superhero movies. They're not supposed to be Oppenheimer. They're not supposed to be even Barbie or whatever. They're just there for you to watch for a little while with your kids or, you know, just as something to do. Similar to comic books. Comic books are melodrama. I'm not expecting, like, massive things from comics. I'm just expecting enjoyment and pleasure. And that's what I got in spades from Blue Beetle. So I wanted to interject really quickly. The other note that I appreciated, uh, more so than the comic even, was they went with the family that's down on their luck, you know, facing financial hardship route instead of where in the comic they had Jaime and his friends and the gang. And the gang thing is, you know, if, if you are of uh latinx you you'd you'd probably roll your eyes about there being yet another gang oh he's in a gang and he's right i mean this show's like nobody are criminals they love each other nobody's an ex well i mean they're minor criminals just like the rest of america uh, well well, just like the rest of america you're right they're nothing nothing major you know uncle rudy is is a fun conspiracy theorist kind of and uh, i love that he called the tacoma the taco i thought that was hilarious yes. it, was, it was a toyota yeah. tacoma but um clearly that's because of how many people of latin descent are involved in in the movie itself oh yes it's the, the director and the I, I don't know i don't i don't know the writer's deal myself i don't know his his national origin or anything like that but you can tell that it was done by by people who uh, love that community and are part of that community i'm going to say this too um to that point about the Mex-American experience, there was also that scene, Victoria Cord sends those uh, evil soldiers to the, and starts pulling them out of their house. And I felt like, boy, that's coming from a dark, real place. That hit home from, and I mean, and I'm not even of, you know, that heritage, but I'm sure the folks that are of that heritage was like, wow, well, that's, that's a little close to home. Well, yeah, as opposed to the Jaime Reyes, comic which i mean you could tell it was a white guy trying to write you know latin characters because jaime in the in the comics is firmly entrenched in 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 his culture too um but when you're not of that culture there's a there's a a fine line between doing it right and doing it as almost a parody or even overcompensating or even uh, you know you have to find that voice and and you have to and 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 i don't think that you can you can necessarily find certain voices it it takes a strong writer to actually do it in, in a means that doesn't come off as either pandering or cliche or or any of those kind of things so so i thought they did a really great job in this one all right well let's go ahead and get to ratings of the blue beetle movie and uh we're gonna go ahead and get our rating scale from jay scott ja what is our rating scale this week all right so uh one of the um the climactic battle when the family's coming out his sister had the nintendo power glove (laughs) it had all these weapons built into it a shield it had like a big glove thingy it had a bunch of so big fist kind of an almost an ambiguous fist Mm. so one out of four nintendo power glove weapons Wow, nice. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a deep cut, but I enjoyed that little nod in the movie. I, right. I, don't get me wrong, my criticism of the movie, while I think it's valid, doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I just thought it was fairly standard fare. Okay. 
Well, I, I was going to say I love this idea of the video game uh, tie-in because a lot of Blue Beetle's weapons uh, that Jaime was coming up with were, were, were from video games. Like he gives him, himself the, uh, the uh, Mega Man uh, Power Buster uh, guns. They, he, he eventually makes a Buster Sword from Final Fantasy VII, that massive blade thing, which my kids just loved. They just absolutely loved it. And I think that's where I'll start. Um, I took my kids to see this movie and they came out saying, Dad! That was super great. And like, how am I going to disagree with that? If the, if I take my kids, they're 11 and 9 years old. If they come out smiling and having a great time, that's what movies are supposed to be as a dad. And so I, I, I thought it was a really good one. I, I, I kind of liked the chemistry between Jaime and Jenny Cord. I didn't mind it. It just seemed like that kind of chemistry is in a lot of superhero movies. I liked the family dynamic. I loved George Lopez. I loved the... Ted Cord, Beetle Cave. I thought that was great. I don't know. I just, I thought that if you want to see a superhero movie nowadays, the only thing that you should worry about is whether they're done well. And there are tons of examples in which they're not. So if you're into a superhero melodrama movie, go see Blue Beetle because I think it's great. I'm going to give it a solid three out of four Nintendo Power Gloves. J.A. Yeah, the family's great. Other than that, you know, it's kind of a standard paint-by-numbers superhero movie. If you can wait, get it on streaming, get some popcorn, watch it in front of the television. You're gonna, you're not going to miss anything. It's two and a half power gloves for me. Uh, it's not the light gun, though. Now, if you had the light gun, where you got to <laughs> shake and blow it, then I don't know. Wow. Mm. All right, uh, we'll go with Chad next. Chad, what are you giving this? I, unlike Andy, I was not able to convince my kids to go and see this one. They could care less, which unfortunately seems to be the reaction here. And it's a shame because although you can see the strings, although, you know, a lot of this is superhero cliche, I do think this has something that a lot of superhero movies, you know, Marvel movies and DC movies in general have been missing that made superhero movies special, you know, where you have that combination of action and heart. This movie could be something special, and it still might be. It depends on you know where it goes from here. I thought they laid excellent groundwork. I was still shocked and appalled that it's 2023 and people left the movie theater before the end credits. Somebody asked me, is there anything more? And I was just like, I think so. And they still left. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, stick around. There's a couple of stingers there that give promise for you know stuff that might come uh, in the future. I don't know. The way I looked at this movie, though, and I, I put this on Twitter or X or whatever it is these days, was I see this as the equal and opposite of the Eternals movie. Whereas when Eternals came out, I was like, oh, this is Marvel making a DC movie. Look, it's got all these artsy shots, and it's way too long, and it's boring, <laughs> and uh, nobody's going to care. This was DC Studios making a Marvel movie. Where they're like, yeah, let's tell a coming-of-age story and put lots of jokes and some fun supporting cast. <laughs> These two, Eternals and uh, Blue Beetle, could definitely have swapped universes and been better fits in the other respective cinematic realms. So if you're you're missing the old-school MCU, as I've said a number of times, like, this fits! And we, we have mentioned, that Blue Beetle costume, that works on screen as well. It was badass in the comic books. It's equally as badass here in the movie. So at the end of the day, uh, I liked it. Three and a half power glove. 
Nice. All right, Mikey, wrap us up. The power glove never worked. <laughs> anyway, I could never, never get did. it to work. I could never. You could use it, it as a controller. I think yeah. it was yeah. easier as Hold a controller. Hold it sideways. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah, very kind of, complicated, you know, but it looked look cool. Um, cool. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of three and a half too. You know, it's a good start for something. It is the origin movie, so the origin movies are always kind of sort of standard. But it's just like, where do they go from here? Where do they? And I, and if I do understand it correctly for all the people who give a damn about that kind of stuff. He is going to be included in the overarching James Gunn helmed DC universe thing. So he is, he, it isn't going to be like a, a, a throwaway, um, which is cool because he's, he's good. The actor's cool. The character is cool. Um, the history is great. Uh, and I'd like to, I'd like to see more. I had heard a rumor that Jason Sudeikis had been cast at, as Ted Cord, and I absolutely love that idea. And they should do it. But, uh, <laughs> and and the numbers are disappointing. But the recent Marvel numbers have been disappointing too. But I think what that is isn't necessarily a reflection of people's interest or non-interest in the movies. Because if you look at something like Flash, the Flash is doing huge numbers digitally. I think it has to do with people's lack of interest in going to theaters anymore. I think people are waiting on things to go streaming, and I think they're waiting on things to go to go. And I, you read that a lot, a lot. People are like, "Oh, I'll watch it when it comes online. I'll watch it when it comes streaming. I'll watch it when it comes." And I think that's kind of the new barometer by which things have to be judged. I don't think people are hitting the theater as much as they used to. I think there's. Well, I would know, say it depends on the movie. This is just not an event movie. Which is sad because this is a really good one. There you go. I do think had this movie come out, you know, five years earlier, it would have been received much better. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for Last Comic Shop this week. Hope you stick around next week because we've got an hour long interview with the legendary Marvel writer Roy Thomas. Yes, that's right. It is a tremendous interview that we cut at Hershey Comic Con this past summer. And we're really excited to get it out to all of our last Comic Shop fans. So make sure that you're tuning in next week. Until then, I was the host of Most Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith, Jay Scott, and the wonderful Mikey Wood. Mm. And we hope that you stay safe, stay beetle-tacular. And remember that if uh, this podcast was made by Prometheus, boy, would it be on fire. Oh, God. I thought you were going to say, and remember that Batman is a fascist. That was hilarious. (laughs) That was hilarious. Shop was a 2023 Black Anders production.